0: How many times a week do you introduce yourself? How do you feel when you do it? What impact do those few sentences have on others and your mindset? In this show, we're talking to the inspiring Holly Murchison, author, education producer and entrepreneur, about how you can tell others about yourself in a way that helps you to strengthen your sense of self and make powerful connections.
1: Welcome to the Evolving Leader podcast. I'm Scott Allender, co-host of the show along with three-time Academy Awards seat filler, John Gomes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just I just assume cuz you look so good in a tux. Yeah, that's true. Ah,
0: uh, how are you feeling, John? Well, um, I always look forward to spending time with you, Scott, and our guests and the the opportunity it affords us to explore new ideas, get different perspectives. Um, So I'm feeling really open and positive, and particularly because it's Friday, and I'm only an an hour or so away from a glass of wine. So how are you feeling, Scott?
1: Well, it's only the start of my Friday, so I'm at least two hours away from a glass of wine. But all that can happily wait, because we have a great show today. Today we are joined by the inspired and inspiring Holly Coley-Murchison. Holly is a founding partner of Oratory Glory, which is a creative studio for talent development where they work to co-create solutions for independent creators and purpose-driven teams. Oratory Glory's North Star is to empower leaders to own their voice and leave their mark. Holly is also the author of an action guidebook entitled Tell Me About Yourself. Holly, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. That was such a nice intro.
1: Um, so, Holly, tell me about yourself. <laughs>
2: Uh, you gotta love that question. Um, you know what? I'll start with my jam. My jam is and always has been helping humans identify, confront, and surmount barriers that inhibit them from designing, living, and leading lives beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, so the crux of my body of work and who I am in the world is is guided by that desire.
0: Hmm. So you had quite a, a few interesting jobs. How did those experiences <laughs> lead you to, to this point where you you formed your company, Oratory Glory?
2: Yeah, um, hyper curiosity is has been the mm. the road. Uh, hyper curiosity, and I think, just a spiritual compass that's like listen to whatever your ancestors are telling you. So I've I've always been really curious about three things: uh, talent development, like how humans grow, how they become who they are, how they shed layers. I've always been hyper-curious about storytelling, um, the way the word has the power to shape futures. Um, And I've always been really passionate and curious about ideas. Um, I love the notion of taking something from your mind and seeing it materialize in the real world. And I pretty much just followed that thread across industries. I've worked about 28 jobs across 10 industries, from like preparing taxes, to being a crew member at Trader Joe's, to managing artists, the teaching at um, top liberal arts colleges in the States. And I just kind of took those spaces and places um, and was always seeking opportunities where interdisciplinarity was um, celebrated. And I I couldn't quite find what I wanted to do long-term within an organization. So I was like, I think the best route is to just create my own thing where I can have, you know, free range to experiment and change course and shift. And um, that's how I ended up just creating my own studio at Oratory Glory.
0: And and what was the genesis of your book? Mm,
2: um, Wow, that was it started six years ago. Um, Along the lines of all the many hats and jobs, I realized that communication was one of my biggest strengths. I kind of just thought it was a thing that like everyone learns and does. And so I realized like, oh, this thing that comes natural to me may not come as easy to other folks. And it came from like being on the debate team and the chess team and the basketball team and learning how to engage across different audiences in a way that was both authentic to me, but in a way that also built connection. And in my early consulting work, I was doing a lot of training and coaching for teams around interpersonal communication. And I was doing that at colleges. I was doing it at corporate companies. I was doing it within creative communities. And it was just a light bulb that went off like, wait a minute, everyone is thinking about like, how do I engage better with other people? But the biggest hurdle and the shared hurdle for everyone was like, well, what about when someone's like, tell me about yourself? And it's if you can't talk about who you are and how you add value and who you are in the world, it becomes increasingly difficult to make connections in interpersonal communication. So the idea from the book stemmed from that. It's like, well, what if there's a framework that can be offered to folks um, to articulate their true north and really accurately and artfully define themselves while still merging and amplifying, right, these ever-changing arcs of their personal and professional journeys. Um, So I started researching that about six or seven years ago now. And the research became a workshop that I started teaching. And I was like, this feels really simple. It's just six steps. And I just kept reminding myself, simple is better for folks. And um, it was really just out of necessity, because I was like, is it really feasible to teach this over and over again all around the world and reach as many people as possible. I'm like, no, let's put it in a book. Um, and so the impetus from the book came from that research and those learning experiences.
1: I'd like to hear a little bit more about Oratory Glory's North Star and its connection to the book in, in the helping leaders find their own voice. So can you tell us a little bit more about why that's important and what are the implications if leaders don't do that?
2: Yeah. Oh, gosh. I won't go. I won't go too doom and gloom on you, but we you know <laughs> that the the one skill that we all apply every single day, not just at work, but across all of our relationships and, and the places we show up is communication, and particularly in business, it's costly to not communicate well, to communicate ineffectively. effectively. Um, from like email exchanges that cross wires to like meetings to just the amount it costs to um, not soar in that area, Um, and at Oratory Glory, it was really this idea of, one, if we can start at the very core level of people and make sure that folks have the skill sets to confidently own and navigate their ideas, express them, then that changes the layer of relationships between people they collaborate with, and then it goes up the ladder, right? It's like intrapersonal communication, interpersonal communication, the execution of ideas, um, and hopefully, right, this arrival at the mission of an organization. So getting people on the same page around the communication piece is the first piece for us. It's like once you can communicate clearly and effectively, then the rest becomes easy. Um, And communication was the first anchor for us at Oratory Glory. And then we saw, well, once you can communicate, then there's process and ideation, and we can get to how to shape ideas, how to evolve ideas. And then there's, you know, leadership and self-development. How do you continue to develop a person once they've been able to communicate to you what their needs are, how they wanna grow, um, how they see themselves, how they want to be seen. Um, So that was really the intention around it. And it started from more of a consulting lens of like, we can develop trainings for you. And then we thought about, well, how do we think more strategically around this? So it's um, content products, learning experiences and, and more higher level strategic thinking around how to grow your people through the lens of effective communication.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about the work itself? Uh, I'm, I'm listening to you go through that, and I'm thinking there must be a, a high degree of you know getting leaders to become a little more vulnerable and a little more honest. Is that right?
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. Um, I think, in particular with communication, and I talk about this a lot. It's it's a vulnerable thing to to say. I have room to grow in the way that I communicate with. Mm. my peers with my team. Um, and so a lot of the time is spent just kind of leveling the playing field to help people assess what their communication styles are, um, how those styles play with each other. Um, and that part is like the, one of the key pieces because if, if folks aren't willing to make that shift, then, well, they're probably not our ideal like collaborator, um, but it also makes it harder to do the rest of the work.
0: So I'm 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 uh, fascinated with this um, because at a very human level, every week, you know, I'm on Zoom calls or introducing myself to teams, and that, that moment where you uh, you have to ex- you have to tell the people who you are and say something about it, and there's a combination because it's done so many times in my life, combination of um, anxiety and boredom. You know, the boredom <laughs> of listening to myself saying the same thing about who I am, and almost wanting to to kind of change it not not to you know make myself sound more interesting but just make make it different for me um and 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 then self-consciousness about it never seems to go away um and i think you know this this first step that of just acknowledging how you feel about the process of saying who you are and you know what what you're here to do is is quite an interesting thing to consider yeah
2: i love that you brought up the self-consciousness about it because like as much as we don't want to admit it, communication is a very emotional practice, right? Like it's it's there there's emotion involved and I think sometimes we feel like we can't bring emotion into work, but we almost have to. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's it's a natural it's a natural piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that cuz you know this this idea that we can leave compartmentalize and leave certain pieces of ourselves at the door I think is just it's not true. And whether if we suppress them and try to deny them, they, they leak out in other sort of less productive, even harmful ways. So yeah, it's, it's the whole concept of being able to bring your whole self to work and, and the positivity that that has on the culture and the environment. Yeah. So I watched a compelling talk you gave related to this, uh, I think you called it Becoming Who You Are. And what resonated so much for me was how you described the importance of articulating our whys. Uh, if we are to become who we are, you shared an idea that really resonated with me. I, I might not get it right. So I'm paraphrasing you. You said, uh, we aren't what we do, but we are why we care. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's a good, that's a great paraphrasing. And and I think that leans into to what John just referenced, right? This whole, tell me about yourself question is, is so transactional in a way. Cause I think for some folks, they're asking like, tell me what you can do for me. Tell me what I can get out of this exchange. Like, tell me mm-hmm. what you have to offer. And the larger question is like, well, do I even like you? Like, can we like each other? Right? Mm-hmm. Like we live in a time and an era where we can choose who we work with, who we collaborate with, who we want to be around. And and the why you care part really sets the tone for you to build a meaningful connection with someone. And I also always say that like, We're not what we do. What we do is a reflection of who we are, right? And so it's going to look like many different things. Like I'm sure, John, and the work you do, it is iterated many, many times over the last decade, at least, well, over the last year with the pandemic, at least, and the same for you, Scott. So that why you care gives you space to just to be a person, right, to be a person and then talk about the other things. And for that, why you care to be the appetizer that hooks folks into a larger meal of a conversation with you.
0: And and I think you know the the point you make about this voice that you've shaped for yourself being driven by your curiosity—that's really interesting. So how does that play into into this for you?
2: Mm, um, wow, it's it, curiosity is the governing thing for for everything. Like it it's it shapes how I pitch ideas to clients. Like a, there is no box. I'm like, huh? How about how about we do this? Like no one proposal looks the same. Um, and I think it's a, it's a thing my partner and wife is uh, both loves and maybe perhaps drives her crazy about me because I'm like, no, we can do this. We can go big. Um, I think the curiosity helps me to be a more visionary thinker um, and pair with other folks who are visionary thinkers. And it helps me push the boundaries for you know this larger theme of learning and talent development because communication is just one morsel of that. Um, and the curiosity helps me push the boundaries in terms of thinking about um what we can do in the space of the future of work by developing people. I remember one of the first conversations I had with Scott was I saw his guitar in the background and I was like, oh yeah, like I liken learning and development and, and growing people to the A&R department at a music, like a, at a music label, mm-hmm. you know, that, that particular department's role is to scout talent and to help develop talent. And I was like, well, if A&Rs, you know, serve to cultivate the talent of musicians, who will be the a for the independent artists and creatives and intra and entrepreneurs who are in other places in the world of work that are catalyzing change to their work? And so thinking about it from that lens, is like there's no one way to do it. So staying hyper-curious about people, how they grow, that just keeps me sharp in the work. It reminds me that there are many, many things that I don't know um, and that there's still so much world and future to shape.
0: I love that. How do you stop yourself from, you know, closing down too soon how do you stay curious because it's um one of those attributes that everybody talks about as being like super important for for innovation creativity and so on but it's it's quite hard to stay open particularly when you're trying to get things done you know how do you how do you how do you how do you 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 know what's your inner voice saying to you like Mm. because stay open stay open
2: Oh my gosh, I, I'm picturing like a clam in my mind's eye. Um, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's kind of embedded. I am, I am uh, so astrology is one of my favorite tools for self-development. And I know that like how my natal chart and astrology is structured, I am wired to be a learner. So I know it's like in my DNA, but I also come from a long line of educators, artists, musicians, and have seen like how curiosity paved the way for people in my family. Um, And I think when we break down the simplest definition, I just Googled it, curious means eager to know or learn something. The second definition is strange and unusual. I have no trouble being strange or unusual. It is like a part of the core of who I am, but I'm I'm always thinking about like, what's the marriage of curiosity? Like once I learn something, how am I applying it? Can I make it tactical? Is it malleable? Can I share it with other people? And as long as those two things are married, I really never have difficulty staying curious because the world is Mm. such a fascinating place. Um, My challenge is, uh, and I could pull out a bunch of poster boards in the house of just ideas on paper. My challenge is like pausing the curiosity to then be like focused on an action for a specific thing, which is a dance that I'm dancing every day.
1: Here on The Evolving Leader, we are committed to stretching the leadership conversation in every episode, and we invite you to help spread the word. If you have learned or been inspired by something you heard on this podcast, chances are others would too. Please consider sharing your favorite episode with your network on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here.
0: So in in your book, Holly, you you describe a six-point process but crafting a really good introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Those steps yeah. and, and the process.
2: For sure. So, the first step, and it's um, I'm going back to your point again, John. Of saying like between like boredom. What was it? Boredom and uh,
0: self consciousness. <laughs> yeah,
2: Bored, boredom and self consciousness. Right. And I think a, a lot of that is because we have to break down what the situation is. And the first step in the tell me about yourself process is. Um, what's the scenario you're in? Because how we introduce ourselves there's probably 15 different ways we can do it, but we're all recycling the same answer in some instances. So the first step is really get clear about what's the situation. Is it like a Zoom networking call? Is it, you know, you're out on a casual date? Is it um, an introduction through a cold email? So we can probably each think of at least five instances where we have to introduce ourselves and who we are. So that's step one. Then step two is identify who your audience is. And a lot of times we go just blindly into spaces and we can tailor a message based on who we're interacting with. So, you know, let's say within, in this setting, I knew it was a leadership podcast. So I know I don't need to go, we'll get to the meat of the story throughout the conversation. So for the intro, I'm not gonna talk for like five minutes about who I am, right? So I know my audience are you know, three gentlemen who work in leadership capacities and probably been in executive roles for some time. Um, I know they've done their homework on me already and they've developed questions around that. So I don't need to go in too deep, right? So that's step two, your audience. Hmm. Step three is how much time do you have to share? And what's the intention of the conversation? So I'll go back to like that Zoom meeting idea again. You know there's a round of intros coming. You know there's 10 people on this call and everybody's gonna have to introduce themselves. So you probably don't have five minutes, but you've probably got 30 seconds. And usually what ends up happening is whoever goes first sets the tone for how everyone else structures their intro. So they're like, oh, okay, they said their name, they said their role, they said why they're here, I'm just gonna copy and paste that. But the intention part of step three is like, you know you've got 30 seconds, what is your intention? Is it to let folks know that you can be a resource for them as you move forward in the work, right? Is it to make a good impression? Is it to be clear about why you've come to do the work that you do every day, right? That intention varies from person to person. So that's steps one, two, and three. Steps four, five, and six are really where the magic happens. And step four is special because it challenges folks to reframe the question they're being asked. Part of the challenge with Tell Me About Yourself is we don't know what question we're being asked when someone's like, tell me about yourself. It's like, do you Mm -hmm. wanna know about my career? Do you wanna know about my interest? It's just this very broad loaded question. Um, And step four challenges folks to say, well, given the scenario you're in and the audience you know you're interacting with and how much time you have and what your intention is, what's a more thoughtful, emotionally intelligent question that you would prefer people ask you in this situation? So tell me about yourself can then become, what are you excited about in this season of your life? And it's like, oh, I can answer that in 30 seconds, right? And in a much easier fashion than I could anything else. And that becomes step four. You think of a question that you would prefer people ask you. And even whatever situation you're in, if they ask, tell me about yourself, what do you do? You respond to your new question instead. And then hopefully you send that question back out in the dialogue because I mean, God knows the world needs us to learn how to ask better questions. Um, And then step five is this process of excavating the story. So given this new question, how do you decide what are the things that you wanna share? And in the book, I talk about the four spaces of discovery that help us decide those things. So there's your background and interests, your values and beliefs, your passions, dreams, and aspirations, and your skills and achievements. And through those four spaces, I think, you know, those are the wells we draw from when we're telling stories about who we are, who we're becoming, who we've been. And the goal is you, you know, dump out potential things you might say that relate to each of those spaces and tie them back to that question. And step six in the book becomes this larger canvas. Like now that I've got this brain dump of potential things to say from step five, how do I weave that into a cute 30 second response and you draw it out in the storyboard. So abbreviated version of the six Mm. steps but it really takes you through this journey of like analyze your audience, get clear on how much time you have to respond what do you want to say in that time? What's the real question that you want to get to the heart of? And then, you know, sketch out a, a draft of what that can be.
0: I, I love this. And I think the um, the interesting thing I'm taking from it right now is that this moment, uh, which is it's quite small, um, often sets the tone, the intention, direction of so many relationships. Um, because some of the things that you've said in there in terms of um kind of creating an environment in which people can really understand who you are in such a short period of time. And then that allowed to to create the space for things to happen is a wasted opportunity in so many times because we don't think about it. So for something quite small, which is the start of you setting it off in a totally different direction. So I think it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. it's
2: Interesting. And it's important because to your point, John, we do miss a lot of opportunities. Like I don't know how many times I've like kicked myself after a conversation. Like, oh, that was dumb, or like, what did I say? I don't even remember what I said. Or someone just like is like, oh, okay, that sounds cool, and they walk away. You're like, oh man, that was that was an opportunity. Like, you can't get that time back, you know? Yeah,
1: I I have your book right here, and I love it. And um, it's so you know easy to to put into action Um, as a respondent to the question um, based on how you've laid it out. Has it? changed how you ask questions of others? Do you do you ever say, tell me about yourself to somebody, or do you actually go more exact for what you want now?
2: I, I don't remember the last time I, without it being jokingly, asked someone uh-huh. to tell me about themselves. Yeah, I, I grounded in time and place, you know? Like, I know the gravity of the world we're living in right now, so my questions range from anything from, like, how's your heart and spirit, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. like, You know, what are you, what are you excited about in this season to, you know, like, like how are you to, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a broad range. Again, I ask questions now, interestingly enough, based on the method. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. tell me about yourself as kind of bland. What do I want to ask people given the audience, given the situation, given, you know, where we're going in the dialogue and it's, it has been a game changer for relational development.
1: Mm, I bet. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to use that question anymore either. So <laughs> um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the pandemic earlier. Um, what have you learned about yourself in, in this last year, in this difficult season as a leader?
2: I've learned that um, it is okay to integrate spiritual practice into work. And for mm-hmm. a long time, I kind of steered away from it, like being like a spirit-centered person. Um, but I realized that it is one of the key things that makes collaborators, peers, companies, clients gravitate toward me. Um, And that's been fun to kind of figure out how I'm merging being both a servant leader and a transformational leader. I didn't think it was okay until, you know, the world started crumbling around us in, in real time in a way that everybody could feel it. And I was like, how could I not be anything but authentic to to who I am and what feels good? And why, why was I afraid to to say that thing before?
1: So, so what does that integration look like for you?
2: Um, being more vocal about it. I think it was always integrated, like behind the scenes. Like it's a, it's that ingredient in the recipe that you just can't put your finger. Like no one can name, but they're like, this tastes different than what other people are cooking. So it was always there, but. I'm not afraid to be open in, in my communication and in, in my conversations and saying that um, and my belief that talent development and intrapersonal communication and creative expression are conduits for aligning with God. Um, and, and when I say God, I mean like our sole purpose, what we're here to do. And I think when we can marry those three things, um, talent development, interpersonal communication, and creative expression, we get closer to this idea of what you referenced from the talk, Scott, of becoming who we are. Um, mm. And it feels good to just be able to walk in that. And, you know, people have different words for God. It's like higher purpose, divine being, it's the universe. You might not believe in like a God or this idea of there being something bigger than you, um, but I do. And it's a great filter for clients now and projects yeah. and collaborators. It's like, well, if we can align around the shared values and belief system, then we can do really powerful work together.
0: We're seeing, mm. you know, these huge changes taking place in the world around the COVID environment, ranging from um, you know, real focus on organizations from well being, around diversity and inclusion, you know, this huge um, sense of both hope and anger and frustration and are welling up to try and change the world. What What is it from your perspective that's driving that? There's lots of different things going on here, but what, what are you seeing and feeling around this?
2: I think for one of the first times in our in our shared history, people are feeling the pain of the same experience. And I think it's easy to like go over folks' heads and be like, well, I never experienced that, so it's not real. I think... Um, COVID and just the experience of the pandemic made it real for everyone. It's like, it's, it's, it's undeniable now. And, and I think within that there's a, a level of awareness and awakening within humanity where we're like, Oh wait, I see you. Oh wait, if we're going to be here in this experience, it's our responsibility to, to take care of each other. And I think people are waking up to that more. Um, and it makes the work not easier, but a little bit more irresistible um a little bit more palatable for folks and i think at at, you know at the core of it it's that like people see themselves reflected in ways that they hadn't before um there's a lot less selfishness around the human experience um well not for everyone but for enough of a critical mass of people to be like oh wait i have to can i curse on the podcast sure okay (laughs) we had a very famous Um,
0: neuroscientist doing a lot of it recently so go ahead
2: (laughs) But it's like, oh, shit, I have to get off my ass and do something because, like, as a human, in this human experience, I have power to, I have agency to to create change. And I think people are waking up to that more, and it's really special to see.
1: Hmm.
0: That's exciting, though, as well, because I think um, th- this feeling that, that the world is, is changing, that we are evolving, and some of these things that have been, you know sort of like in in marginal spaces that that we're all in it together that's that that is exciting. I suppose the question that every leader has to ask themselves is how do we make this irreversible? How does it you know in a years' time when when we're all vaccinated and we're back to our way our selfish ways that right. you know that we the moment, the momentum has been maintained. Have you got any thoughts on that?
2: How do we make this irreversible? Wow, that's such a <laughs>
0: Such a big question. Come on.
2: <laughs> that, that is not the question that I've tasked myself with. That would keep me up like all, all night. Um, but I, I mean, I'm also on the strengths finder assessment. Positivity is one of my strengths. Um, and so I can be positive to the point of, of being naive at some point. I'm just hopeful, though, that after an experience like this, if you're going the opposite direction after this, you know what, like may the force be with you. You know, for me, my, my focus is on like, how can we, as a leader, how can I activate as many people as possible to see the value in their gifts and make a commitment to apply those gifts to something somewhere. Um, And for me, I'm like, if I push that one domino down, like, I've never seen dominoes get back up and go to other direction. you know, so I'm just like, how many dominoes can I knock down this year or until you know we have some experience of a new normalcy in the future? So my hope is that we we keep the momentum going, and i think I think for a lot of folks, they haven't seen the the value in their gifts and action before. and And the pandemic knocks down a lot of walls and levels of playing field. It's like, oh, you know a lot of us have the luxury of working remotely. It's like, wait, I can do anything I want from my home here. And then we have essential workers who have a, a, a very opposite experience. And it's like, well, what I do from home can directly impact someone who doesn't have the privilege of the experience I have. And so my hope is that that humans just do the right thing, you know, just do right okay. by each other.
0: <laughs> who, who's inspiring you most in terms of leadership right now?
2: Mm, there is a fantastic designer. Um, his name is Brian Espiritu. And he, I've been following him online for probably like a decade now. And he was running a brand called The Legends League, but he's a designer who always shares his process, the missteps and everything in between. And he uses his, his influence on a, both a local and a global level. And I think, you know, sometimes we can get hung up in this idea, like I don't have many resources, I can't do much, but Brian, for example, between last March and, and this March, wow, it's been a year, He started a campaign called like Change for 100, and his goal was to um, raise enough money to get grocery gift cards for 100 families. And he's raised like $150,000 since that, like putting out that one call. And I'm like, that's such a simple way to embody and model leadership that is changing people's lives on a very local level. Like that expanded from like people to schools, reaching out to him. Um, and he's just great at activating his community. in that way I'm really, really inspired by his, his leadership, his vulnerability, his leadership, his transparency along the way.
1: I love your optimism, Holly, and your, your, <laughs> I feel it from you. you, you, you it's it's uh, contagious for me, It's in a good way. It's, um, it inspires me, but uh, it makes me curious too, as a leader, um, what's your biggest fear?
2: I'm like capitalism. Um, <laughs> um, wow, that's a good question. My biggest fear is that I won't prioritize play. I think, mm. you know, there's this like gravity, this heaviness of the way the world is and this like eagerness to to create change. And I'm always grounded by the reality that this is going to take time. Like the change that I envision in my mind I may not see in my lifetime like this may be change that I'm you know trudging towards for my children when I have children and their children so I can sometimes be a workaholic and my fear is that I don't prioritize play like I can mm-hmm. feel when I'm when my body is like burning out so I like bought a guitar and I play I just started playing again like two weeks ago. So the the play part um, makes me think of your early question, John, of like, how do you stay curious? I play, like I have to play. Um, And when I'm not prioritizing that, I'm not my best as a leader.
0: So we we, we have covered quite a lot of ground in a very short period of time. Um, And you you talked a little bit about the future and the, I'd I'd like to kind of get a sense of the legacy you think you would love to leave um, in the future, from the work you're doing? What, what is it you, you envisage you're leaving behind from a lifetime of work in this area?
1: Mm.
2: I want to create art that makes self-actualization both accessible and irresistible. That will be my legacy. I know that we talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I feel like the way self-actualization is discussed, this idea of fulfilling your potentialities, it seems like this thing that's unreachable, um, but I think we can reach it. We just need, you know, pathways and access and different conversations about what it looks like for people to actualize. Um, and I would love for part of that legacy to, to be reimagining the world of work to be a conduit for people to actualize. It's the place where people are, at, are spending or nurturing and devoting time 40 plus hours a week. And I imagine if you were at a job for 10 years and you left and you didn't feel closer to your purpose or your, your potential, you know, we're doing we're doing a huge disservice. So that would be the legacy for me and, and for folks that feel like work is just one part of life that adds fulfillment. But we are layered rich beings who are, who are embodying all the things that we want to not just do like the action, but just be and rest and lay and play. Mm.
1: That's so good. Well, Holly, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, I really do feel inspired and a little bit more optimistic uh, about the future. Um, And I encourage all of our listeners to order Holly's book, Tell Me About Yourself, uh, today. Thank you, Holly. Thank Thank you. you, guys. So until next time, the world is evolving. Are you?